Okay, Pastor Daniel and his family are still on vacation. Just got a text from him about 25 minutes ago. He said he's praying for the service this morning. So since Pastor Daniel is not here, we have a fresh voice from the pulpit. Um, Brian Boswell is going to bring the word to us. Brian. Brian and Kim have been with us now, I guess, the better part of two years or so and became members just a few months ago when we had our membership class. Uh, they came and they dove right into ministry, and many of you know they're already engaged in many ways in serving. But um, just by way of introduction, uh, I asked Brian for just a little bit of background, so we just want to share that with you. He has a BA in Pastoral Studies from Southeastern University. He has worked, uh, done some work toward an MDiv at Biblical, Study, Biblical Seminary in Pennsylvania. And he mentioned the vineyard earlier. Brian and Kim came from uh, Blue Root Vineyard in Media, Pennsylvania, uh, when they moved closer to this area. And uh, he is a, a graduate also of the Vineyard Leadership um, Program Institute. And he's ministered over the years in many different denominations and non-denominational churches. And he's been a youth pastor, an interim pastor. He's done mission work. And if that doesn't qualify him to speak from this pulpit, I don't know what does. <laughs> so we're thankful for Brian and Kim and their contribution already to Emmanuel. So Brian, come and share the word with us this morning. I guess in the words of Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right. Well, thank you, Jim, and thank you, Emmanuel, for giving me the opportunity to, to speak with you and, and share with you from the word. Um, so Easter last week, Easter is a great reminder of all the things God has done for us, right? Not the least of which we celebrated last week, the death, burial, and resurrection of his son for the forgiveness of our sins. And because God's done all these great, wonderful things to us, we respond back to him in some way. Um, there are certain ways that, that we do that, but out of his loving gifts, we respond back. It doesn't mean that anything we do earns us anything, because it doesn't, right? We don't earn our way to God, but because he loves us so much, we respond in love back to him. And some of those things are, are, are very self-evident, right? We read the word. We want to know what he has to say to us, and that is primarily through this book. We gather and worship. We lift up our voice to him in praise for all the things he's done. We practice generosity because he's been generous to us. We, in turn, are generous to each other. And, of course, we pray. We talk to God. We take time to listen to God. And we've talked about prayer a lot over the last couple of months here at the church. And we're going to continue to talk about prayer. And prayer takes, you know, a lot of different forms, right? We, we say grace before meals. Some of it just half-hearted, you know, memorized thing. You spit it out because you want to eat. We recite prayers every once in a while, you know, things like the Lord's Prayer. We, we give thanks. We seek forgiveness. We, we ask for help or for wisdom or for favor. You could probably categorize prayer a hundred different ways if you wanted to. And just as much as there's various ways to pray, there's various responses to our prayers, right? Varying degrees of success, if you want to call it that. Sometimes we pray, at least I have, maybe you have too, and feel like 
God doesn't hear me, or if he does hear me, he doesn't care enough to respond. Your prayers just hit the ceiling and bounce back. You ever felt that way? I've felt that way. Maybe sometimes God does answer, but he never answers quite the way we want him to, and certainly never answers when we want him to, right? It's like, come on, God, I've got a need, I'm praying to you, what's going on? Every once in a while, he answers miraculously, and we can't believe God just showed up. But if we're being honest, that's probably not as often as we'd like it to happen, right? We would like to see a miracle daily. Daily would be good, right? Something like that. So God shows up in varying degrees. And I've, but I've noticed something, and maybe you've noticed something too. I've noticed that God tends to show up most when there's a crisis, when we are desperate, when we are broken and lost and at the end of ourselves feeling helpless and feeling powerless, like we have nothing left but to call on God. When we get there, he shows up. When we get so, so brokenhearted and there's so much pain in our lives that we don't know what to do except cry out. We cry out to him in prayer and he responds to that. You might call it being poor in spirit. In fact, Jesus did call it this situation of brokenness as being poor in spirit. You might call it being having a broken and contrite heart. That's the way David described it in Psalm 51. But this, this state of brokenness occurs when we become acutely aware of our lack and we are ready and willing to surrender and yield to God's authority give him control in our lives now often unfortunately this is the result of something happening to us we don't voluntarily break we don't voluntarily fall apart Something happens that causes us to come to the end of ourselves where we have nothing left but to trust completely in God. Now, maybe you've been there and you've cried out and God didn't answer. Maybe it's just, uh, God, I need you to get me out of this jam. I'm not really willing to surrender to you, but I'm in a spot and I need your help. Maybe we just give up after one prayer, Lord, help me. No answer, so I'm done with God. And we tend to do that. We tend to give up far too quickly. We allow things like frustration and bitterness and anger seep into our lives. God didn't do what we wanted him to do when we wanted him to do it, so I'm gonna sit in the corner and pout. We do that, I do that. I've been there. It wasn't too long ago when I lost absolutely everything. I was sleeping in a friend's spare bedroom because I didn't have a home left anymore. I spent hours weeping and crying out. The pain I felt in my heart was so great, literally I thought I would die from it. I did not see a way out. I didn't see a way that it could be fixed. I was completely utterly broken and I didn't think my heart would ever heal 
I'll let you in on the best part now, though. Never have I ever felt so close to God than during that time. I cried out, and he heard. And frankly, I saw miracles happen to people around me. I saw God do things. Now, the pain was still there. The pain was still in my heart. I still felt like I was going to die from it, but God was on the move. I could see him slowly healing and restoring me. Now, it took years. This was not an overnight thing. This was not a couple of days and I'm all better. It took years for my heart to heal. But in that time, Jesus was very, very close. Why? Why does Jesus show up like that? Simply because we desperately need him. And there's no other answer but him. And so he graciously shows up. And I will tell you this, my faith has never been the same since then. Certain things just come easy now because of trusting God through that and seeing him show up. So I encourage you right here at the outset, persevere in your crying out. Don't give up. He does hear. He does answer. So if you've ever felt that way, you're actually in pretty good company. There are plenty of stories in the Bible of this exact thing, of people being broken and hurting and crying out to God. And we're going to look at one of those Old Testament stories now. But we, before we go into it, I want you to think of something. I want you to look at it in a certain way. So sometimes when a rabbi is teaching on these Old Testament stories, he's teaching for identification, not just information. He's not just saying, here's the story in the Old Testament. This is the way it went. He's asking you to identify with the characters in the story. So that's what I want you to do tonight, to, this morning. As we look at the story, ask yourself a couple questions. Do I identify with her? How am I like him in the story? How do I fit in this story? Try to see yourself in the middle of this story and see how God works in their lives. And maybe, maybe that's how he wants to work in your life too. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 20. But we're going to start with just verses 1 through 8. This is in your pew Bible on page uh, 262. And behind me, I think. Yep. Okay, cool. So 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first eight verses. Now here's a problem with the Old Testament, okay? There are names that make absolutely no sense. And we don't know how to pronounce them. So I'm going to get some of this wrong. That's okay. You probably don't know the difference anyway. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zephite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. Phew. He had two wives. First problem. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. 
Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Let's, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would open your scriptures to us this morning, that you would show us what you would have for us. Father, would you speak? Would your Holy Spirit come right now and be our teacher? Open our hearts and our minds to what you would do in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, ancient Middle East society, having a male heir was like the primary function of a wife. It was the thing. Having a big family mattered a lot. See, there weren't social services, right? You didn't have the police to call when there was trouble. You didn't have the fire department to call when there was a fire. You didn't, maybe didn't even have neighbors to come help you. So having a big family mattered a lot. Your family needed to be the ones to bring in the crops or take care of the cattle or protect you if an enemy tried to invade. The family is all you had. So big family, very, very important. And having a son very important so that you kept your land, you kept everything within the family. So to be barren is to let the family down. It is a failure of a wife. Barrenness was also considered in some sometimes to be punishment by God even. So think, your job as a wife, have a big family, have an heir, everybody's counting on you, and you're barren. No kids, no big family, no heir. God must be angry with me. So what often happened was a husband would take a second wife. Now, we don't know the order here, but it's, we can assume that Elkanah took a second wife because he needed this family. He needed an heir, and his first wife, Hannah, didn't produce an heir. He loved her, but love wasn't enough, so he chose a second wife out of necessity. So that creates, as you can imagine, a fairly rival, contentious relationship between Hannah and Penina. Penina did not let Hannah forget that she had let the family down. Possibly even due to her sin, Hannah was being punished and Penina was blessed. Maybe at times it was really subtle. You know, she just took little, little subtle jabs at, at Hannah. Maybe, often, it seems like from the text, it's, it was overt, abusive taunting that she just picked and picked and picked. Maybe she said something like, Oh, Hannah, dear, would you help me pick out clothes for my children so they look presentable at temple? Or something like, Look, look, Hannah, look at little Elkanah Jr. Isn't he so sweet? You know, one day... My boy will inherit all of his father's possessions. Subtle, but it stings. You see, everybody wants to be seen, right? We want to be somebody to somebody. And if Penina felt slighted by her husband's love for Hannah, and why wouldn't she? She used whatever she had in order to get back at her, in order to taunt her, in order to make herself feel better about herself. And what did she have? 
she had kids. She turned a blessing into a curse. She took the blessing of God and was cursing someone else. Maybe you've been there. Maybe we've regrettably used put-downs or insults to feel better about ourselves. I know I've felt that sometimes, you know, like, I want to be seen here. I want to be important here. And the only way to do that is step on somebody else. Or maybe, maybe you've actually used a blessing to curse somebody else. Maybe you're the one that's been labeled a failure. Maybe you felt inadequate or incomplete that you let everybody down. You are worthless, Hannah, so I had to step in and save the day. You ever felt like that? Just complete failure. I've let everybody down. And the thing is, Hannah felt worse when she went to church. They took this trip once a year, you know, Easter or Christmas. And as part of their worship, they were presented, they presented each family member a portion of meat from the sacrifice. And Hannah had to sit there and watch Penina parade every one of her children up in front of her to receive their portion and every child was a reminder of who she was a failure inadequate maybe even cursed now I come from a family of farmers I grew up in Virginia on a farm all of my uncles most of my aunts all of my cousins big strong people my cousin Paul and I were born two days apart. I was born two days before my cousin Paul. And every once in a while, the family would get together, and every once in a while, they would stand Paul and I up back to back. I remember this vividly in my parents' living room. They'd stand us back to back. And Paul, he was just like the other men in the family. He was a big, strong teenager. He played high school football. I was small and skinny, wore glasses bookish and I remember distinctly someone saying we need to put fertilizer in Brian's shoes so maybe he'll grow up and be big and strong like Paul and the rest of the men in this family yeah ouch ouch is right yeah so it told me I was not good enough I was somehow defective and inadequate I didn't belong in this family I wasn't like them and that hurt and then Elkanah like any good husband knows exactly how to say the wrong thing at the wrong time so he tries to make Hannah feel better he gives her a double portion from the sacrifice and honestly that probably just made things worse Penina probably got jealous over this favoritism so she lashed out at Hannah even more so everyone sat around eating drinking fellowshipping Hannah just felt like a failure and this goes on day after day year after year it doesn't get better Hannah remains childless she remains a failure by all outside objective standards and I'm making this up the standard was something she was not living up to. And maybe after a while, maybe she began to feel like she deserves it. 
Maybe she begins to believe that this abuse is just her just due. See, I, I, I think of pain like chopping down a tree. You can break and fall the wrong way and fall towards anger and bitterness and depression, accusing God of being unfair and hateful towards you and shaking your fist at God and saying, why, God, are you doing this to me? Or you can break and fall towards humility, trusting that God is actually good and that he really is up to something good in you. And we go to him and we cry out in our anguish. And instead of saying, why, God, why? We say, what are you up to, God? I believe in you. I trust you. I've got nothing else. So even through this, I cling to you. Have you ever been there? What is supposed to lift your spirits makes you feel and make you feel good really just makes you feel worse? Those that are supposed to encourage you and empower you and strengthen you instead leave you feeling worthless. I think when these things happen, it begins to affect our identity. We begin to wonder, well, just who really am I? What am I really supposed to be? My sin, my environment, my friends, my neighbors, my co-workers, our enemy, the Satan, uses these influences to tell us a story about ourselves. We begin to question, am I really beloved? And we think, I, I don't know. I feel broken. Am I enough? Well, I, I don't think so. I feel kind of empty. Am I truly loved? Like, really? Someone really loves me? How could they? I'm a loser. Am I favored? Does God favor me? Of course not. God doesn't favor failures. Am I worthy? And we come back and think, worthy of what? I'm worthless. I know what I'm supposed to think about myself. I know what I'm supposed to think I am. But all evidence to the contrary, all of my surrounding influences, even my own heart, tells me I'm broken, I'm useless. I wonder how many people like Hannah come to places of worship and they just become very aware of their pain they become very very aware of their failures and their unfulfilled dreams and their senses of inadequacy and they just feel worse why God did you make me like this so after years of abuse after years of the pain building up Hannah does something different she takes her brokenness to God. We're going to continue the story. 1 Samuel, verse 9 now. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, 
Oh, Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him back to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought, she must be drunk, and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Now, this is just a normal desire of a woman in her position. I want a son. Would you give me a son? It's a, it makes perfect sense to pray this. But here's the thing. She's willing to forego the pleasure of rearing that child, raising that child, enjoying watching him grow up. It is the ultimate sacrifice. Think about it. The thing she wants, the thing she prays, prays for, the most precious thing she could think of, having a son, and she's willing to give that most precious thing back to God. She she's willing to sacrifice the very thing she's praying for. And God hears her. This is not a story of manipulating God. You know, it's not a story of, God, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. That's really not it at all. This is a story of how God responds to her broken heart. Hannah cries out. Hannah pours her heart out before God. And God hears the cry of that broken heart. He understands her pain and our pain. He understands the frustration and the disappointment. And she prays and she prays and prays until she has no more words. Maybe her voice is even hoarse now. She's just praying in her heart. She weeps and she weeps and weeps some more until she doesn't have any tears left to cry. She has nothing left but her pain. And so she pours all of that pain out as an offering to God. Now this time, after, I don't know, how many years, the broken heart gets a breakthrough. Now don't you think, though, Eli is being just a little bit hasty in his judgment of Hannah? And don't we do that? Someone doesn't look right. Someone doesn't act right. Someone doesn't dress right. So we pass judgment on them. Now, what's the remedy? I mean, it's a simple remedy to passing judgment on someone. And Eli does it. Talk to him. 
Open your mouth and talk to them. Ask them what's going on. Talk to them. Get to know that person. Develop a relationship. And all of a sudden you realize they're not so weird. Not any weirder than I am. Get to know what's going on. So God answers her prayer through this priest, through Eli. Now he didn't tell her exactly what, what God would do or when she would get pregnant or how God would exactly answer. But Hannah knew that God heard her. She knew that God was concerned and had compassion for her and that God would answer. Hope, this hope, transforms her from, verse 15, a deeply broke, a, deeply, a woman deeply troubled, to verse 18, someone who is no longer downcast. Hope. So, brokenness, takes us to the end of ourselves where we give up our control give up pride and just let Jesus get to the root of the issues in our lives let Jesus come in begin to restore begin to heal our broken hearts what do we do with pain typically well first thing we want to do when we're hurt is blame somebody we don't want it to be ours maybe we even blame God maybe we drown it Maybe we drown our pain in alcohol or sex or drugs, something like that. Maybe we drown our pain in serving the church. I'll just, I'll just be a part of everything that comes up, and, and, and it'll, it'll mask over the pain I feel. It will, it will anesthetize me. Instead of dealing with it, we'll just serve and serve and do and do and do and push it away. Maybe we try to justify, you know, that's just the way I am, and we wear it as a badge of honor. This is who I am. Or we just ignore our pain, try to push it down and hope it goes away. And that pain pushed down turns to bitterness and it poisons your soul. Believe me in this, I have watched it happen in members of my own family who just push the pain down. Don't talk about it. Don't share it. Don't go to God for healing. And bitterness develops. Hatred even of things of God develop. And it poisons the soul. We have to be stopped. The pain that you feel from whether it's sin or the betrayal of someone close to you or ridicule and torment of an enemy, it's there to drive you away from your own efforts to manipulate or to get ahead or to win the day or fix the problem. Brokenness, when it does its work, drives us to Jesus. Difficulties and brokenness are allowed into our lives for our development. God uses everything, including the parts of our lives that just are not all that pleasant. We have to be emptied of ourselves in order to be filled up with Jesus. We get to the point where we say, I give up. I cannot be the person I should be without giving all that I am and all that I expect and all that I ever anticipate or wish for to Jesus. At our lowest, we cannot continue to cling to anything. Everything has to go to him. We yield our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, complete heart alignment with the will of God, not my will, but yours, God. Are you willing to sacrifice everything? 
Are you willing even to, and this is where it gets hard, right? Are we willing to accept no from God to our most precious desire? If that answer is, I don't know, we're probably not broken enough. Brokenness is a yielded heart open before God, empty of pride, empty of all our self-claims, empty of our arrogance, And in our brokenness, we know our sin, we know our self-deception, we know our frailty and our weakness and our inadequacy, and we discover in that that we are truly hungry and thirsty for God. We are poor and we are needy, and we thought maybe we were full and self-sufficient. We rediscover that there is a God who loves us, who has mercy upon us, who has forgiven us, who cares for us and has laid claim to our lives. We get to the point of saying, I can no longer do this my way or on my terms, but I will surrender to your ways. This type of heart, fully surrender to God. He will not turn away. You know, I said you might call this being poor in spirit, and that's exactly what Jesus did call it, in the Sermon on the Mount, the first, the first beatitude in Matthew 5 is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That Greek word for blessed is makarios. It means more than happy. It means to have the favor of God on your life. It means to be commended. It means you are fortunate and you will flourish. Poor in spirit means simply what we've been talking about, that you recognize your spiritual helplessness. You are completely, utterly dependent on God. So if you are broken, if you are helpless, if you are utterly dependent on God to get you through your crisis, then you have the favor of God on your life. You will flourish. Why? Because the rule and the reign, the kingdom of God has access to you now. He can completely come in. His rule over your life is complete. The second beatitude says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So whether you mourn the loss of a loved one, you mourn a betrayal or a dream that has been crushed, something that has been lost in your life, you can flourish in the midst of that because Jesus has sent a comforter to us. He is with us. He will not neglect us. He will not withdraw from us. He will not ignore us. But not only will we flourish, but even in our vulnerability, even in our weakness, we become the type of people through whom Jesus can then bless and cause others to flourish. It is through broken people that God transforms the world. We become wounded healers, broken healers, I want to close with a look at another passage of scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And I'm just going to look at the first three verses here real quickly. It's in your pew Bible on uh, 739. This is a prophecy about Jesus and his mission, his purpose when he comes into this earth. Try not to get excited about this. I know how you Pentecostal people are. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now, poor here is not just monetarily poor. It's the same as poor in spirit. It's completely, utterly in need. 
He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Here's the power of the Spirit of God in Christ coming to us to bring us justice, to bring us salvation, to bring us righteousness, to bring us life. If you're one of the poor, if you are in distress, in trouble for any reason, Here's good news. Are you so broken that you don't even have the heart to cry out anymore? Are you so bound up by sin or addiction that liberty and release just seems like a mirage? It'll never happen. Are you so hurt that you think you will never again experience joy or favor of the Lord? Has everything in your life just burned down to ash and you have nothing left but despair here is the good news Jesus brings hope Jesus brings deliverance Jesus is God's triumph over whatever crisis you are in right now if you are broken Jesus brings healing if you are enslaved Jesus brings freedom if you are in the dark Jesus gives you light if you mourn for something Jesus comforts you he paid the price for our freedom he will gather up the broken pieces of your life bind them back together bring you back to life again he will set you free This is the work of the cross. This is why Jesus came, to bind up our broken hearts again. The source and the power of the pain in our lives is broken. Whatever you're mourning, he is here to give you comfort. You are accepted by him. Your pain will be healed. Jesus says, give me your worst. I will give you my best, a crown of beauty. Imagine you, me, a crown. I can't, I can't, I just can't. Give me your crushed spirit, he says, and he will give you back life. He will cause you to flourish. This is kind of a party atmosphere, if you ask me, where we were once overflowing with sorrow and mourning We will be filled with praise. His strength and his abundance is manifest in us as oaks of righteousness. Not our righteousness because we don't have any. His righteousness, his fruitfulness, his eternal glory will blossom and grow in us. Unimaginable that the God of the universe will grow and blossom and do something miraculous in us and through us. Out of our helplessness, he displays his beauty. So I just tell you, give him your ashes. Give him your pain. Give him your brokenness and your despair. Like Hannah, he will turn that pain into hope. And he will turn that hope into blessing. I want to ask the worship team if they would come forward as I continue to close. Remember I asked you in the beginning, 
to think about identification. This is the what about me part. How do I identify in this story? And I just want to pick on three people. We'll pick on Panina first. Are you blessed? And maybe you are, but you've used your blessing to hurt someone. I want you to take a minute and just ask Jesus that question. Am I like Panina? Have I been blessed but used my blessing as a curse? And if God reveals something to you, write that down. Write down that name. Go to that person. Ask them for forgiveness. Start, start now. Or maybe not. Maybe you are blessed and you really haven't used that blessing to hurt someone. So ask Jesus then how that blessing can be used to bless others. Think about it. Write that down and then go act on it. Maybe you feel like Eli. Maybe you see yourself in Eli a little bit. You have some spiritual authority. Maybe you're an elder here, or maybe you're just a parent and you have some authority over your children, or maybe you're a mature Christian that people look up to. Have you jumped to conclusions and misjudged someone? Ask Jesus. Take the time now and write that name down. And then go confess it to that person and start a conversation, build a friendship. Or if not, then ask Jesus how you can use your spiritual influence, use your spiritual gifts to begin to encourage and train and edify others. Get in the game. And lastly, the hero of our story, I guess, Hannah. How am I like Hannah? If you are here this morning with an ache so deep in your soul that you don't know what to do, you don't know if you even want to see another day. You are at the end of yourself. I want you to do two things. The first thing is simple. Tell a friend. Find someone who cares about you and tell them you are hurting and you need them to pray with you and continue to pray with you until Jesus answers. When I was at my lowest point, I actually told my friends this. I told them exactly this. Guys, I have been hit by a truck and I am lying in the middle of the road, broken, bleeding, and dying. And I need you to pray with me. I need you to hold me up. And my friends would come to my house and drag me out of the house. They would take me someplace to get me away from, you know, my own depression. They would weep with me as we sat in their living rooms. They would pray with me Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. They called me. They took me out to eat. They took me to play golf, and I'm not good at golf. For four years, folks, not a week, not a month, four years, these guys did not let me go. Tell a friend and be a friend to someone hurting. Do not let them go. Be in it for the long haul. Secondly, I want you to do something bold right now. If you are here this morning and you are feeling broken, you are in pain, and you do not know what to do, if you need Jesus to intervene right now, would you do us the honor of letting us pray with you? Would you be bold enough to stand up right now, right where you are, and say, I need prayer? And folks will gather around you right now and pray with you. Is there anyone here feeling that way? I need prayer right now.
just be bold enough to stand up and we will gather around and pray with you. But we are gonna, Derek is gonna lead us in another song. There's a couple people standing. I just ask, would some of you gather around and pray with them, lift them up right now. And as Derek plays, we're gonna worship some more. There will be folks up here to pray with you as well. If you have anything at all that you would like prayer about, come forward, let us pray with you. Let's all stand, please.